the Christian life is a life of conflict. You all know this. For anyone who has followed Christ for long knows that you encounter a lot of resistance as a Christian. And the resistance is ultimately spiritual, but we often experience it in different ways. This week, for example, as Mark said, I wrestled with this text. I wrestled in prayer and study, and it seemed like everywhere that I turned, every direction I turned, I met with some sort of resistance. Now, this is very light resistance, mind you, but traffic always seemed to be heavy. Prayer and preparation seemed to be more difficult than they were at other times. And then, of course, there was the ever-present Dallas heat in the summer, which for me, at least, makes everything just a little bit more difficult. Not coincidentally, mind you, this sermon which I was preparing for is in large part a sermon about God's faithfulness in times of difficulty. And so again, I, I want to um, throw it out there that those are all very small things. I'm not in any way comparing what I went through with what we're going to read tonight. But we all know that as we follow Christ, there is resistance. Either you have experienced it recently, maybe you are experiencing it right now, or you will experience it very soon in the future. I want to remind us that darkness hates the light, and those of us who are in Christ Jesus are light in a world that loves darkness. So our sermon text tonight describes a church, the church in a time of very serious resistance. Terrible resistance, in fact. And as we look at Acts chapter 8, we're going to see the gates of hell attacking the church with very great fury. But instead of prevailing, what we're going to see is Jesus Christ victoriously building his church while the promises of God are being kept. And his kingdom expands outward from Jerusalem toward the ends of the earth. Our sermon text tonight will be from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And as we look at this passage, we're going to consider a couple of things. We're going to consider the attack against the church. We're going to consider the church's response. And through it all, we're going to see God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to his promises, to his people. And I want us to see God's faithfulness here in Acts chapter 8 because... Oftentimes, in the midst of difficulties, as we encounter oppression or persecution or just the various difficulties of life, we start to forget or question or doubt God's promises. We sometimes doubt God's faithfulness. And this is especially true when the attacks or oppressions go on for a long time. And so I want you to be encouraged tonight that God is always faithful. He is always faithful. Whatever things look like at the moment, however bad they might look or feel, or even how bad they might actually be, you can trust him and you can rest securely in his promises. Now, I also want us to see something of the beatific vision that Mark talked about last week. And we're going to see this as we consider the church's response to persecution. And I want us to see this truth, this truth that Jesus Christ is far more valuable, far more worthy, far more excellent than anything else in all the world. And this truth is often shown forth with greater clarity to a doubting world amidst suffering and persecution. And so again, our sermon text this evening comes from Acts chapter 8. It's going to be verses 1 through 4. For your convenience, it's printed in the worship order. But I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open them to Acts chapter 8 and follow along. Now for those of you who are willing 
and able, I invite you to stand and join me first in prayer as we seek the Lord's uh, blessing on our sermon, as we seek him to open our eyes to the truth of his word, and then for the reading of God's word after we pray. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you humbly in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we ask that by your spirit, you would open our minds and our hearts to the truth of your word. That you would make your word clear to us this evening. That you would minimize distraction and focus our minds and hearts on your truth. We ask that as you, as you speak through your word, that you would guard my words. That you would guard the words of my mouth. That you would allow me only to speak that which is true. Only to speak that which brings great glory and honor to Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Father, if there are any here tonight who are not trusting in Jesus... We ask that as his glory and beauty and truth are proclaimed, that you would, by your spirit, effectually call them to faith and grant them new life in Christ. Be glorified tonight, we ask, and conform us more and more into the image of your precious Son. And it's in his name that we ask these things. Amen. The word of God from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God add his blessing to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And his church says, Amen. Amen. May be seated. We're going to start tonight by considering the attack on the church in Jerusalem that we see in Acts chapter 8. In our sermon text here, Luke gives us some details about the attack, which happened to follow Stephen's murder the very same day, in fact. But I think it's important that we note... That although the persecution in view tonight started on the day that Stephen was murdered, this wasn't the first instance of persecution for the church in in Jerusalem. It had actually been going on for quite a while with lesser intensity and building, and the heat was turning up as time went on, as the church grew and the gospel spread, and more and more people came to faith in Christ. In Acts chapter 4, for example, if we looked back there, we could see Luke writing that Peter and John were arrested for preaching about Jesus and for healing a crippled man in his name. Now, they weren't harmed physically at this point, and they weren't imprisoned for very long, but they were warned not to tell anyone else about Jesus. So, in other words, stop preaching Christ and we won't bother you. But as we well know, that's not what they did. They did not stop. They continued to preach Christ and him crucified and risen and reigning, and they continued to preach this with boldness. And so as the persecution ramped up, um, as, the, as things turned up, they kept, they kept being um, bold for the cause of Christ. And it got a little more uncomfortable in Jerusalem, a little more uncomfortable for the church there. In Acts chapter 5, the very next chapter, we're told the, the apostles are again arrested for preaching. And again, they're imprisoned. And after being freed by an angel that very same night, they went back to preaching the next day. And of course, they were arrested again, and they were warned again. But this time, things were a little bit different. The heat was turned up a notch higher. This time, they were beaten before they were released. 
But instead of being intimidated, instead of being silenced, they actually rejoiced for being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And what do they do? They continue to preach boldly. And then we arrive at Acts chapter 7, which we talked about last week. And Stephen's speech and his bold proclamation of Christ to an enraged crowd, followed by his brutal murder. And Stephen's murder kicked off a major persecution against the church. It was that very same day. But what I want us to see briefly before we get started is that this persecution, this intense persecution, didn't just come out of nowhere. Things had been building for a while, and they had now gained a fever pitch. The spread of the gospel, brothers and sisters, the growth of the church, the spiritual conformity of us, of God's people, into the likeness of Christ is always met by resistance. It always is. This is not the exception. It's the rule. Acts makes this very clear, as does the rest of Scripture. But getting back to Acts chapter 8. In verse 1, Luke tells us that Saul approved of Stephen's murder. Now the ESV, if you're looking at your Bibles or the worship order, the ESV calls this an execution, which I think is technically accurate. Um, But the Greek word here is really a strong word for killing. So in a loose sense, I guess Stephen was actually executed, but it was on trumped up blasphemy charges. You and I normally think of an execution as something that happens after due process, don't we? We think about it as something done with great order in the service of law and order and justice and only after a fair trial. And that is in no way what we see happening to Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death by a hate-fueled crowd after bearing witness with the face of an angel to the truth of Christ. And so in the end, Stephen was murdered, and that's what I'll call it tonight. Stephen was murdered, and Paul approved of this. And this approval on the part of Saul should be seen as a continual approval. This wasn't just a one-time sort of thing, sort of an attitude he had towards Christ's followers at this point in time. I think verse 3 bears that out as we read that Stephen, that uh, Saul rather attempted to destroy the church. He ravaged the church. And if we looked forward into Acts chapter 9, which Caleb will cover next week, We could read that Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples even after the persecution in Jerusalem. So Saul was a very violent enemy of the church at this time. And on the very day that Stephen was murdered, a mega persecution against the church in Jerusalem broke out. Now I say it was a mega persecution because that's what the Greek says that it was. We look in our text, we see it's translated as great, but we use great for all sorts of things. So mega perhaps sounds a little bit different to our ears, and I think maybe it captures the intensity and the size and the scope of this event just a little bit better than great. Luke tells us a little about what this mega persecution looks like. For one thing, it consisted of house-to-house raids against Christian families led by Saul. And if you think... For a moment, you might be able to imagine Saul and his cohorts coming in the darkness of night, dragging families out of their beds as they slept, dragging Christians out of their beds and homes and delivering them to prison to await trial. As we saw with Stephen, trials aren't exactly fair at this point in time, are they? Stephen didn't get much of a trial, so the outcome could easily have been martyrdom for anyone who Saul dragged off. Now notice also that Luke 
says that both men and women were dragged off because of their faith in Christ. This is an important little bit of information right here that Luke's including for us. The culture here is very male-dominated. Most persecutions, a lesser persecution, would have just been aimed at males. New Testament scholar Craig Keener talks about this in his commentary on the historical background of the New Testament. But Saul's not just arresting males, is he? He's not just arresting men. He's arresting everyone. He's dragging everyone off to prison, literally dragging them away. And dragging them away to what could have easily been their deaths. Think about what might be going on in the mind of the church at this point. There would have been fear, wouldn't there? There would have been fear. There would have been crying. Kids crying. Moms crying. Dads crying. Families separated. This would have been a very difficult time. As we look at Luke's description here in Scripture of the mega persecution, it's very short. But it doesn't mean that this is an insignificant event. This is very significant. A very, very scary, very serious time for the church. And many Christians were probably wondering as this is going on, if this was the end. Not just for themselves. Very possibly for themselves, but not just for themselves. Maybe also even for the church. People were probably wondering where God was in the midst of all of this terror. We're probably wondering this as we all are prone to do when things get hard. But it's not just that, is it? In the midst of this mega persecution, amidst this mega attack on the church, there was also mega grief. We're told about that, that godly men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Not only was there fear and uncertainty and crying, over brothers and sisters and moms and dads who were being beaten and drug away, possibly to their death. But there was also fear and uncertainty and crying over the sudden and violent loss of a very, very dear brother and leader in the church. Let's not miss this. Let's not skip over this. Luke points it out for a reason. This is a man, this Stephen, that Mark talked about last week. This was a man who had waited tables. He had served widows. He had done things out of love for Jesus Christ and his church that others didn't want to do, that others didn't think of doing. He was a brother who had served communion. He was a brother who loved the church and who the church had loved in return. He was a man with the boldness of an angel, with a servant's heart. And he was a man who God had grown in grace so much that even his actions as he died, as the stones rained down, even his actions imitated Jesus Christ. This is a brother and a friend and an officer and servant of the church who was suddenly and brutally taken away. And I want us to think about that for a minute. He was suddenly gone. Any of us who have lost someone, and that's probably every person in this room, can remember how at that moment things are terrible. The world seems to stop for a moment. And so we add this mega lamentation, this mega grief to the mega persecution. And as we think about that, we might be able to start to feel, start to understand even for a moment what the church in Jerusalem would have been going through. Their world had been turned upside down in the course of a day. So what happened? 
What was the response? What was the result of this mega persecution? Did Saul destroy the church? Did the mega grief over Stephen cause God's people to give up? Was the gospel stopped before it even left Jerusalem? Was the light of the world overcome by darkness? No, no, absolutely not. Of course not. In fact, the opposite happened. And you and I are here today, Gentiles, thousands of miles and years and oceans and cultures away from first century Jerusalem. And we're here together worshiping the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ because the mega persecution was a mega failure. Any of you who have seen grass fires might think that that image might come into your mind right now. Grass fires on a windy day. The fire might stay put, but then the wind comes along and it blows the fire out of control in a way which never would have happened had it just been left alone. So instead of crushing the church, instead of stamping out the fire of the gospel, this mega persecution actually caused the message of Christ to spread outward from Jerusalem into the rest of the world. Just as you and I see or read in the story of Joseph, and as we most clearly see in the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, what evil men meant for evil, God meant for good. God meant it for the salvation of the world in Christ, and he used this mega persecution to move his people out from Jerusalem, to move them out from where they had been comfortable. Some of them had perhaps overstayed their welcome in some ways, and he used it to move them out from Jerusalem out to the rest of the world. Interestingly, this movement of the gospel into Judea and Samaria, as Luke highlights here in the book of Acts, um, is actually exactly the way Jesus said it would happen in Acts 1.8. So here, as I said before, the gates of hell are attacking the church, and the church is going through a mega persecution and dealing with mega grief. During this whole time, Christ is risen and reigning, And he's growing and building his church, just as he promised, and even in the exact geographical pattern that he promised. This happened because, as Luke tells us, the church in Jerusalem was scattered. We saw that same word today, as Mark read from Psalm 44. And this is diaspora language, being scattered out. God's people are being scattered out up to this point. The gospel had stayed in Jerusalem, but now it starts to move out into the rest of the world. And as the church in Jerusalem is scattered, as individual members of the church are scattered, as individual believers are scattered, what are they doing? What are they doing? They're scattering the seed of the gospel wherever they go. Luke highlights this for us in verse 4, where he tells us that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The word that they're preaching is the word of Christ, the same word that caused the mega persecution. They're not leaving Jerusalem afraid. They're not leaving Jerusalem timid. They'd seen a horrible thing. They had experienced horrible things, but the Holy Spirit had emboldened these brothers and sisters. And so as they leave, they're taking the gospel with them. They're sharing the gospel. The mega persecution had the, had the effect that the gospel was exploding. Interesting that, interestingly, the mega persecution also highlighted the difference between true Christians and nominal believers. And all persecutions like this one, they highlight for the unconverted world... 
the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. And we see this too as they spread the word, as they scatter the gospel in Judea and Samaria, that Jesus is more important than their lives, more important than their families. Right? Christ is beautiful and worthy and to be praised and honored and worshipped and he is superior and more excellent than all things and he's more valuable than comfort and physical safety and money he's more valuable than possessions or homes social acceptance retirement plans old friends old family old customs that brought attention to the supremacy of Christ whatever it was Whatever you can think of, you name it, Christ is better. And the mega persecution highlighted that. The actions of the church as they're scattered highlights that. I desperately need to see that tonight. You desperately need to see that tonight. That Jesus Christ is more beautiful, that he is more valuable. That he's more satisfying, that he's more wonderful than anything we could possibly imagine. He's worth everything. And I want us to know it. I want us to truly know it and to feel it. I want us to feel it in our hearts and see it in the text of Scripture week after week after week after week, year in and year out, until the Lord calls us home or until he comes again for us. I want us to know this truth when things are really good. And things may be really good for some of us right now. And I want us to know this truth when things are really bad and things may be really bad for some of us right now. And I want our children to know it. Boys and girls, you sitting in here tonight, our precious children who are being cared for in the back, I want them to know it. I want them to smell the, on our breath the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want them to smell it as they grow up among us. To know the truth that for absolute certain, absolute certain, Christ is more valuable, more beautiful, more trustworthy, more excellent than anything the world has to offer. And the saints in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, they knew this. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, they lived in this truth. And when the mega persecution started and the mega grief came... When Stephen was murdered and the house-to-house raids began and people were being pulled out of their houses and people were crying and dying, when these things happened, they held tight to the truth of Jesus Christ. They trusted in the promises of God. And so as they're scattered from place to place in accordance with God's plan, they weren't quiet. They weren't afraid to tell people about Jesus, even though the cost might be ever so severe. Instead, they proclaimed the message of salvation, the message of forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God through the life, death, and resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ. They took that message with them. That message went with them into Judea and Samaria, and they fulfilled Jesus' words in Acts 1.8 as God used them, and they started the outward spread of the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit in accordance with God's plan from all eternity past. And what happened as they scattered the seed of the gospel here and there? Some of the seed fell on good soil, didn't it? Some of the seed fell on good soil, and we can read about that in the rest of Acts chapter 8. 
Some of it fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And nearly 2,000 years later, here we are tonight in Mesquite, Texas, as proof to the world, as continued proof to the world, that God keeps his promises. But we're not only proof, are we? We're not only proof, we're also witnesses. And wherever God scatters us by whatever means he uses to scatter us, we are witnesses to the truth that Christ is the only name under heaven by which Jews or Gentiles or Texans or Oregonians or Mexicans or Americans or any other person, man, woman, or child in all the universe may be saved. And as we stand and as we bear proof and as we witness to that truth, Jesus Christ continues to build his church and the gates of hell shall never, ever prevail against it. I want to give a couple of thoughts before we close. And we've talked a lot tonight about persecution. And as you guys know, there is no mega persecution here in America right now. There are no Saul's who will come tonight for you to drag you from your bed and throw you in prison or stone you. But that's not the case in every place, is it? China comes to mind, I think, for many of us. Brothers and sisters there are being severely persecuted for the cause of Christ. And the same is true for much of the Middle East, Central Asia, places like Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India. Africa is a very hostile place to the gospel as well. And so we have brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are facing mega persecution and they are dealing with mega grief. And as they're dealing with those things, they're trusting in the promises of God in Christ. And as they do that, they're bearing witness to the watching world of the glory and supremacy of Jesus over and above all things. May God help us to be faithful in our prayers for them. But here in America, we have things easier at the moment. But just as we saw in Acts chapter, well, in Acts chapter 8 and all the way through Acts chapter 8, mega persecution didn't just come out of nowhere, did it? It built over time. Even now, here in Texas, it's gradually becoming more costly to follow Christ. Some places the cost is higher. But I want you to understand, even if the persecution, even if the resistance, even if the cost is not the same as we see in Acts chapter 8, all who follow Christ, all who follow Christ will face persecution and resistance. Jesus himself made that clear. And Paul, the one who led the mega persecution, and one who himself suffered so much for the cause of Christ, the same Paul years later as his own death by martyrdom quickly approached, wrote in his second and final letter to Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecution, resistance, struggle, these are all things that are part of the life of one who follows Christ. Whether we're being physically attacked or facing persecution or resistance or spiritual battles in some other way, whether you're facing something tonight, whether you're going to face it tomorrow or it's in your past, no matter what happens later tonight or tomorrow or 10 years from now, 
I want each of you to know for certain that the promises of God in Christ Jesus are absolutely certain. And he can be relied upon and he can be trusted and he can be counted on regardless of the situation. As you face uncertainty and difficulty, as you face resistance and persecutions, and as the pressure mounts, as we see it mounting every day, I think here, as the pressure mounts on us to compromise on the truth of the gospel, remember the witness of the church in Acts chapter 8. Remember God's faithfulness to his promises and his word. Remember that the glory and the worth of Christ is often shown most clearly when the cost of discipleship is high. And remember that our risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ is building his church and he will continue to build his church. And no weapon formed against him will stand. He will continue to build his church and call people to faith in himself. He will continue to build his church and his kingdom will expand until he comes again in great glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truths that we've talked about tonight in your word. We thank you for the witness of the church in Acts chapter 8. We thank you that in the midst of hardship, in the midst of difficulty and oppression and persecution, the Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to trust in all of your promises and to rest in Jesus Christ and to know for certain that you are both in control and growing your kingdom in accordance with your good and perfect will, regardless of how things might seem to us. As pressure mounts on your people here, we ask that you would strengthen us in Christ and give us courage and faithfulness and boldness to speak the truth in love, regardless of the cost. And Father, we ask for your protection and blessing on our brothers and sisters in Christ who even now are meeting, even now worshiping the risen and reigning Lord Jesus, knowing that any minute they could be dragged off. Father, strengthen them, encourage them. Give them protection, please. Grant them perseverance and faith and great joy in Christ as they show the world that Jesus Christ is worth everything. Expand your kingdom here on earth, please. Call your people to yourself and come quickly for us, Lord Jesus. Amen.